Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. You know, Sly covered so many genres, like you were talking about, Jerry, but he is certainly highly regarded especially as being one of the fathers of funk music yeah what in your mind did he bring to that genre and help push it to to new new levels new areas new frontiers well by showing people that he could write music that was likable to anybody and everybody it wasn't like he never he never like sat down and said, I'm gonna write me a soul song right now. I'm gonna write me some funk. You know, he just was funky. And whatever he did was gonna be that. And he loved the Beatles. He loved their he loved all kinds of the English bands. So his his concept was not and he loved James Brown and Ray Charles and they loved him. So he had so many loves of music in his life that he reflected that. And nobody's ever done that since, and I don't know if anybody ever will. He was one of a kind, and uh, society kind of got to him a little bit, along with uh, the, the Hollywood crowd, you know. <laughs> I don't want to mention anything, but they got to him, you know, and they, and a lot of people just came there later on just to see him be messed up. Because they would go, people were jealous. They go, nah, yeah, he's got, it's going to be like that, man. And they used to break my heart because you're looking at a person that was one of the biggest major influence on music ever, besides the Beatles and besides uh, other bands. People wanted to see him be messed up. And it was heartbreaking for us. Mm, I'm he, sure. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it must have been. Well, um, I, I moved to Hawaii. I moved to Hawaii in 1980. I still kept in touch. I came back for a few things. I came back for that that thing with Bill Graham. It started out good, and then he saw this this dealer gun in, in, inside before the second show. And Buddy Miles was playing guitar on that. Greg was playing drums. We, it wasn't the, all the originals, 
Well, we were doing good. It was an HBO thing. And I was in Hawaii. I flew there and enjoyed it. What year was that, Jerry, about? It was before we got inducted in the Hall of Fame in 93. So it had to be about 80-something. When um, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself came, I mean, that is just such a seminal, timeless, classic funk track, uh, kind of revolutionary in its sound. What was your thought process when you first heard that coming together? I said, here we go again on the positive you know? When he wrote that, because he hardly ever wrote things that are all just in the same key, you know? Well, except I gave it eight people and that. He did that to please a record company too, because they were such dodos. They didn't know shit about music, you know? They just had their formulas. They had to do it this way. And that's what broke his heart and his spirit also. It was not the people's choice. It was a choice of the corporate America who did that, you know? And something was happening back then that could never happen now. Uh, you could never have a manager that was uh, a vice president of a major conglomerate. David Kaepernick was our manager. He was also vice president of Epic Records, you know, under Columbia. And he manages through Dallas Productions but he was our manager and everybody knew it. You cannot do that anymore. That's conflict of interest, you know? Dave, Dave uh, supported the band uh, with the money that he got from Peaches and Herb. He used to manage them too. And their money that they made supported Slane and Fanny Stone in the beginning. I bet you never heard that one before. No, no. Um... I didn't follow Peaches and Herb nearly as closely as Slam the Family Stone. But um, but they had hits before us. And there was two Peaches. <laughs> One Peach, she got so messed up, they had to get rid of her and bring in a new Peach. <laughs> <laughs> the Peach got rotten in the first one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She drank herself out of the gig, which a lot of us do. You know, I've always liked alcohol more than drugs. That's why. But that that's easier to... I drink, have about five or six drinks a year now. Yeah, I enjoy every one of them now. Yeah. So I, married, I married a nurse. <laughs> and uh, That's smart, yeah. Working now, you know. And uh, just in the other room. I'm just sitting in my in my dining room. You can't see them, but all clean across the wall. I have all, I have gold records and uh, my Hall of Fame thing. Picture of Cynthia Robinson and I behind us. She yeah. Was, can you see that there? I can see uh, uh, Sachs uh, there, the big picture. Yeah, that's Cynthia Robinson in my yeah. profile. Yeah, right behind you. And she was my, right next to that is the Beatles. I met them when I was playing with George and Teddy in Rome. You see the small one in the middle? Yes. Okay, yep. down bottom right is me at 23 years old. Wow, <laughs> with the tie and everything. Yeah. Well, we had to do that. We were playing at Club Ocancio Quattro in Rome, and the Beatles walked in, and they were going to get thrown out because they they weren't all their their gloves and their uh, signature clothes. And then somebody said, "Lepito, Lepito," so they they came in, and I got a chance to sit down and talk with them. And I, I, they took their picture out in the courtyard with me. <laughs> it was great because I was I was a big fan of theirs, and so was Sly. They were so innovative. I talked, I talked to uh, 
Well, I didn't talk to Paul because he was dancing with a gorgeous hooker out there, just beautiful. But we talked to him later. But I sat down and, uh, and I said to Ringo, I go, I said, hey, my drummer's, he's got your picture up on the wall. He goes, I don't know what for, he's got the better foot than I do. You know, he was just so humble and, and, uh, and George, uh, George Harrison just sat there and smiled. And John Lennon, I said, I never thought I'd ever meet you. You know, he goes, well, you never know who you're going to run into. You know, so John Lennon. <laughs> threw me back, I just felt so stupid. And, but I was in awe because they were the biggest band. That was their biggest year in 1965. It's the year before Sly and the Family Stone started. Yeah, I'm sure they had a lot of influence on Sly. I mean, in 67, when Sgt. Peppers came out, I mean, that's really what also helped make albums and art and not just the singles too, you know? They were brilliant. When, uh, when uh, what was the guy's name? George, uh, George Martin took them under his wing. They became gigantic. Cause they were just guys from Liverpool. It was just a bar band, but they were brilliant. And, uh, and Ringo, wasn't really ever a great drummer. He was a great personality. That's what he said, because my drummer was better than him than I had in, in Rome. He goes, I done that before. He's got a better foot than I do. You know, they talk in their Cockney accents. It was yeah. great. Chemistry, you know? Well, I, I love Europe. I, a couple of years ago, I, I played in uh, in, in Ireland and in, in London and in then when I was on the road with Prince for three years, Cynthia and I, with Larry, I played in 15 countries. I just loved it, you know, because I got to stay in the five-star hotels with him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to ask you a, a question or two about Prince. Uh, before I do, I want to ask you about Larry Graham because we didn't really talk about him. And he's so innovative, too, on the bass. So, you know, you had Sly being so innovative. Then you also had Larry in there being sort of revolutionary on bass. I got a tape from him two days ago. You know, we talk all the time. Him and I did the Zoom with the Rock on Hall of Fame together. I played with him when he was 14 years old and I was 18 at the Redwood City American Legion Hall with a band called Al Lewis and the Modernistics. He later became Al Ripone and with his sister, the Queen Ida and the Zydeco band, and they sold millions. But they were just a bar band there. And Larry had to stand behind the curtain and play. And Al used to do the Chuck Berry thing and skid along on his ass across the stage and stuff. And I was 18 now, but I was underage too. I had the worst fake ID you ever seen in your life. Said I was 26. I looked like I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> and a million story. I got a million of them. I also been writing a book for about 40 years and I just keep adding to it. I got to sit down one week. I'll take a week and go through all my memoirs, you know? I don't know. Well, I, I hope probably, you do. I hope you do. Um, well, I it's, it's me and me and I have a book this state. I just, I just organize it. I want because I want to do a vocal thing. I just want to talk it, talk my whole book. Well, but in, in the band context, though, I mean, how much uh, input did Larry Graham have on how the bass parts would be, especially considering that Sly was so good on bass? Okay, if you listen to all the Sly and Family Stone songs, uh, Larry didn't do no thumping or anything. Sly wrote the bass line. Sly was the bass player. Larry just played what Sly wanted him to. However, 
Sly was fully aware how, how, how badass that Larry was, you know? He was really good. And, uh, but Larry didn't do all this then. He could. That's why when he left the band, he formed his own group and he just went and thumped his ass off. <laughs> and Cynthia and I went on a road with Larry from 97 to 2000. And all over the world with Prince. And that, that scared the shit out of me because Prince used to have me stand up on that purple piano and take a solo, you know? Then and when he gets tired of you, he'll like bring Maceo in to kick my ass, you know, and he does stuff like that. I loved him anyway, but same with Candy Dolfer. She's a good friend and she played with us. So many great musicians play with Prince and he loves Sly. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, I've told the story before on this show, but uh, I saw uh, Grand Central Station play House of Blues in 95 and mm -hmm. um, great show, great show. And afterwards, I got to talk to Larry, and I said, hey, have you met Prince? Because he's, like, doing all of your songs and all the Sly songs. And he's like, no, I haven't met him. He goes, but I've kind of heard that. And then the next year, they did meet, and then you know the rest, you know? So, um, yeah, he lived in the guest house next to the garden about a mile away from uh, Paisley Park for a long, long time until right before Prince died. So having been with the two geniuses, because a lot of people compare and contrast, you know, like Sly and Prince, what were the similarities and where, where did they diverge? Okay, uh, Prince, uh, well, Sly was like brilliant and I think he was the greatest songwriter between the two. But Prince was a close second. But what Prince did, he knew everybody's job. He, used, he could come and mix the board. He did the lighting. He did everything. We traveled with... Uh, seven semis and seven buses 62 people on the road with him and he treated larry uh, cynthia and i were traveling in with a big bus and there's about eight bunks in there uh i mean we we had a bunk for for my horn and her trumpet and our own little living room larry had the apartment in back with it with his daughter now my face and so we had our own bus the girls had their own bus. The, then the band had their bus. So it was great traveling. In Europe, we had, we had like seven buses on the road in Europe. You know, it, it was amazing. That's something. When you first got exposed uh, directly with Prince, um, how much did that experience differ from maybe what you previously knew about him or what you anticipated the experience would be like with Prince? Well, uh, I find with Prince, he treats you like a king until he gets used to you and then he treats you like shit. But, but that's just the way he was. And I appreciated the time and the respect that he did give me. And uh, then he, uh, he found out that... Uh, that Sly credited me with starting the band, and and then he he was he was like this then you know toward the end of playing with him we played his uh, the last gig when they, he got the key to to Minneapolis they, the mayor gave him the key and I told Cynthia that that's our last road gig she goes no no it ain't but it was but when he came around town we came and played with him still when he was in Oakland or anywhere in the Bay Area. Yeah. 
he like he not only liked doing the Sly songs, but a lot of the uh, Grand Central Station songs too. Oh, uh, yeah. And and I have this here even, uh, Jerry, the Graham Central Station record that you were on, right? Do you want to dance? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you on all of this or just a couple of tracks? Or? No. I just, whatever he needed me, I didn't pay attention. I know that. Uh, he did one album that he had me soloing a lot, and it was, and Warner Brothers dropped about 20 bands, and they, he was one of them. But it, it did well in Japan. Sent it to Japan. But that that whole thing, that was that was a bad time for Larry. Because unfortunately, Larry is really great, but none of his songs are gonna be like Sly's or like Prince. Because they were great and he was great. Uh, he didn't write one in a million, which is a great song. But um he uh I was playing at a club in Hawaii when he when he did that and he came to the, the Hilton Hawaiian Village I was playing in Honolulu and he got up and sang it holding his, his daughter when she was a baby you know and all the people in the audience would started crying that's how good he was Larry had been my friend since he was 14 years old wow that's something um you know on your 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 playing jury how would you describe your style is, is there a signature to how you approach the saxophone? Just, uh, I'm not a jazz player. I don't play a whole lot of notes. I find that less is best. And that way you don't have to practice so much. You know? <laughs> I just got my own style. I mean, I love the people that influence me, you know, like uh, <clears throat> in the old days, I love Stan Getz, you know, but mostly I like Maceo. And, and and Junior Walker and Sonny Stitt and and all the all those guys, you know. I like the bluesy jazz guys. Yeah, I, I love Maceo especially. Um, had you had had you met him before you worked with Prince? No, I met him with Prince, but I was a big fan of his, and I was a big fan of James Brown, and uh, his. A lot of the just the soulful, more bluesy but jazzy saxophone players I liked. I didn't like a whole lot of notes. I didn't like very, a lot of the white players because they just played too many notes. Like James Brown said, "Whoa, there are a whole lot of notes in there, man. A whole lot of words," <laughs> he would say. You know, because James Brown was not quite a great lyricist. He was just the funkiest man alive. You know, we loved him. We played. My band played with him a few years ago in Oakland before he passed. You know, I remember he, the wife he was married to, she, she got her own mic and she's back there and she was going to be part of it no matter what. Well, nobody liked her. And uh, the engineer looked at me and said, she's not on. So she insisted on singing with the band, you know. But she was young and pretty and James liked her. So I got too many stories. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to tell any of the X-rated shit. <laughs> you know, I've had, uh, well, nine lives and six wives, you know. I'm sure. I can only imagine. Well, um, I knew my wife right now. I knew that she was, I met her 22 years ago. We've been married. We've been together 22 years. Before that, my mama always told me, you keep doing it, you get it right, son. 
I was born in uh, Shamrock Mines, Colorado, which is a country song I wrote too. And that's where I was born, man. In 1942, my dad was a, a miner. I'm playing in Aspen in, uh, in June. I asked my driver when I played it before, where's Shamrock Mines from here? It's close down. He goes, as a crow flies, it's 20 miles. So that's where I was born, and I would still be there or in Colorado. That's where my relatives are. If my dad didn't join the Navy, he was stationed in San Francisco, and it changed my life. Hmm. I wanted to uh, mention Fresh because that's one of my favorite Sly albums. And it came at a time when things were starting to kind of splinter with the group. And um, what do you remember from that period? And, and how do you think it got pulled together for such a great album amid that chaos? With Sly? Yeah. I don't know. He just he had a knack for that. You know, I think uh, that the, Annie Newmark played on that, I believe. And uh, is Annie Newmark the drummer? You got the album there? Yeah, sure. I think Annie Newmark, drummer Pat Rizzo, took a great saxophone, so more jazzy. He added that jazz end of uh, the band. I, I would just, uh, I would just play mostly just some blues, you know. The closest I could get to Maceo was <laughs> not that close, because nobody plays like Maceo to me, you know. See, I'm, I'm alive and playing, and I'll be 80 in a year and a half because I'm looking over my shoulder over here at my beautiful wife, and she's a nurse, <laughs> and she's, she's kept me going for all these years. One of the things that surprised me with Fresh when it came out that it was so, <laughs> good, so good was that uh, Larry was gone, um, yeah. but it didn't seem to matter at all. I mean, it was still well, just such a great record. Well, I paid the base on most of that stuff. Even if Rusty was playing, he even overdubbed over Larry's stuff sometimes. And Sly would do shit that nobody knew. He would go in, he'd be playing a lot of the albums. He'd be playing guitar or he'd be, uh, everybody played. Herbie Hancock played with us, you know? And, uh, and Miles used to hang out with the band. So it was a diverse uh, organization and people loved him. And it was a shame to see that the Hollywood people got to him, but you know what? He outlived most of them. He's doing, Sly is doing fine right now. He looks good. You know, he hasn't done nothing in about eight months. And uh, I've never seen anybody do that before. Keith, Keith Richards, too. Keith, Keith Richards was on TV and he goes, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, Sly and George Clinton. I mean, it's so great that these guys are I still around. Really well. George is a friend, and you know George uh, quit doing everything too. You know, he yeah. cut his, he he changed his clothes after thirty years, and uh, he, he he was pitiful. But he was very very talented. And he's a good friend. I love George. You know, absolutely. So I'm here. He loves fun. You know, Sly's daughter when it, that fun came, and he just loves and he loves Cynthia and fun, and Cynthia was right behind me up here. She uh, was my partner for 55 years. Wow. So, you know, I don't have a trumpet player in my band now. Uh, Larry Graham's keyboard player, who's mine too, uh, you know, Jimmy McKinney, he's got a whole horn section built in there. So I have a whole, I play with a whole horn section, but it's just me and, and Jimmy. 
So I, I'm not going to hire a horn player. Who's going to replace her? Well, what is it like for you now, Jerry, when uh, with the new lineup, uh, when you're playing those same songs? You know, how is it different, you know, for you? Well, I'm very picky in who I choose. I finally, after about three lead singers, uh, if I told you, like, all the lead singers I've had, I had about three or four. After a while, they get, they develop a, a thing I call LSD, which is lead singer's disease. And uh, when you're in that position where you're playing sly, all of a sudden, you start getting a size 44 hat, you know? And they forget that I hired them. <laughs> and uh, the guy I got now, he looks more like Prince. I'm not selling the faces, and I'm selling the songs. But he plays six instruments, he can do Sly, he can do Larry. He plays the keyboards on the gig, but he stands up. I got two keyboard players. Jimmy's like the horns. Jimmy was a horn section for Larry too. He still is. We, we, we share him. But Larry's not on the road right now. But he ain't through. He'd probably go back out. In fact, I'm using Larry's drummer uh, in two weeks in Indios, California, because my show drummer from Vegas, he has a, a family wedding situation. He can't go. So I just called Brian, you know, who, who knows the songs better than him. He's been playing with Larry for years and years, you know. So we all interact. You're based in Vegas, right? Was that? No, no. I'm in Folsom, California, five miles from Folsom Prison. I live in an area that is safe. There's a little park across the street. You can't park on the sidewalk overnight. I just want to stay in a safe place for my family. I have about five or six bedrooms here upstairs, and we only use two bedrooms. <laughs> Unless we have a big family, you know, when they come, we have we could fit 20 people here. I wanted to ask and pick your brain for one thing uh, in particular. I, I saw Sly and the Family Stone play a TV special in the early 70s. I was actually there with my mom because okay. I was a kid. And it was filmed in Hollywood. Al Green was on that show also. And I mm -hmm. think Sly wore like a black, his black outfit with the Sly belt. And when he ran off the stage, he came right by me and brushed up against me and I felt his sweat and everything as a kid. And I never forgot it. It was an amazing experience. Um, but I've not been able to track it down, what that was or anything like that. So I'm just wondering if you happen to remember a we TV. We just played so many, you know. And uh, in 1980, I moved, to, I moved to Hawaii because, and he kept, doing gigs and stuff. He would go into a club somewhere and he liked the band. He goes, y'all signed the family sound. <laughs> so on Facebook, people called, yeah, well, I played uh, from 1984 to 1985 with Sly and the family sound. But that's bullshit. There's only one Sly and the family sound, you know? I don't call my band Sly and the family sound. Sly gave me permission to use the name the family sound. He gave me an affidavit because other people try to do it. It's a jealous world out there, my friend. And uh, I just want to make sure that I have all my T's crossed and my I's dotted. Well, this would have been like around 1972. Uh, and, and like I said, Al Green was there. And so I don't See, know if... Let me see. Uh, television. It was specifically a television show. 
Okay, I'm wondering if uh, if Annie Newmark was with us. And Annie Newmark was by far the best drummer that we ever had. You know, Greg was innovative. Everybody loved Greg. Um, but um, the difference is, is Greg, since the beginning, he will, when he gets excited, he'll speed up and then he'll slow down and stuff. And when Sly said, that's okay. But after uh, Greg quit in 1971, Sly started using a metronome a lot. He's the first person to use that Rhythm King on a record uh, for a family affair. First person to use a rhythm machine. And uh, it, it's on the record for family affair. I don't know uh, what we played. We played all over there. We played a Hollywood Bowl. We played, uh, you know, several places in Hollywood. I guess it'll just stay a mystery. But um, yeah, do you, with your current lineup, do you play something like Family Affair that was so much a Sly centric type of track? Oh yeah, check out our site. Check out my website. You know, thefamilystoneband dot com, and you'll see us. You know. Uh, we just played at the Seabreeze Jazz Festival last week, you know, in uh, Panama City, Florida. You can go on YouTube and you see us on there. I got a good lineup. And uh, we do, what well, Sly used to do, he would get three colors. So I want you to guys wear uh, black, well, silver, red, and red, black, and white, and you had gold and silver. We'd have colors. You see, people didn't know that. And uh, I do the same thing. They'll call and say, what colors we wear? You can wear anything you want. Uh, last week it was red and black. I wore a red top hat and shirt and then black clothes. It's black and white. And we have, uh, in two weeks, we're playing at two casino gigs. Black and white the first night, black and gold the second night. You know, and um, we, we, we're pretty organized and I learned a lot from Sly. I don't try to be Sly and Family Song because there was only one, but I try to represent those songs as good as I can and we kick ass. You know, the people on the ships love us. We did the Soul Train cruise and the power, Flower Power cruise. And we got all, all of them were canceled this year. We're going to play the, the, this year, we're going to do the Soul Train, Flower Power, and the Rock and Romance tours. It's all the same company. But that's a, a very high pain. And I lost a lot of money during this pandemic. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, very, very glad that you've made it through safely. Most yeah, important thing. I don't believe in that shit, but I got my shots because you have to. And I can feel that it affects you some kind of way. I didn't get sick. My wife got very sick, but uh, you got to do what you got to do. If that's the law, just follow the law. Whoever's in charge, just follow the law and you'll get through it fine. You know? Was 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 the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction uh, of, a proud moment for you? How did that affect you? Well, well we were inducted... Uh, January 12, 1993, two years before they built it. And it was amazing. I was living in Hawaii and I flew back and absolutely great. I go there all the time. The president comes down, they send a limo for me and my band. We go underneath the Hall of Fame and, and they take us to the vault. They give us lunch and they give us a, a private tour to see how things have changed. They just remodeled it about a year or two ago and it's, it's gorgeous. Wow. I, did a, I did a TV thing there when they, they do educational things there. And uh, three of us uh, were interviewed and things uh, for that movie. I think 
some of Sly's later work um, was unfairly dismissed. Uh, I'm thinking of like the album High on You, which I think is a strong album. Yeah, did you, did, yeah, yeah. Did, did you feel like he wasn't getting uh, the respect at that point that maybe he should have because he was still? Absolutely. Now they, the, the powers that be have treated him like shit his entire life. They killed his spirit in the beginning and they wouldn't stand behind his genius. They said, you can't have three different lead singers on this. They said, they're all different things. You have to stay in one mode. You have to have one hit and then six hamburger helpers on an album. That is the formula that all record companies used. It sucked, but that was just how you program your audience. It's all about programming people. I know you know that. Yeah. Well, that's what's great about the internet today is there's more freedom, but there's also more challenges in distribution and making money off it, you know? It's all about so. making money. For the corporation, that is it, you know? Everything else will be sacrificed if necessary, you know? Plus, you couldn't do what we did back then. Dave Kaepernick wouldn't have been, been our manager nowadays because he was the vice president of CBS uh, and for Epic Records. That's called conflict of interest. <laughs> Got away with a lot of shit in those days, man. But he did it to Barbara Backus and Daedalus Productions, you know. They also had a couple of rock groups and big and Peaches and Herb. And what, what would be your top five Desert Island albums? If you could only listen to five more albums, are there five that are just so important to you and you are just indispensable? First, was Sly and Family's Town? No, not Sly, others. Others? Yeah. I, uh, hard for me to say because I'm not crazy about anything new that's come out in the last few years because there's no bridges. They, they keep it in one key. Everything is electronic. There's hardly any live bands anymore. Uh, I, I listen to it because I like to stay up on pop. I, I like uh, uh, Ariana Grande. She has a great voice. And I like a lot of the new singers that are out, but the arrangements are, you know, I, I just go back and I listen to the old pop stations, <laughs> all the old Motown stuff, and I, and I turn on the, the pop stations, and the only thing they do the same as the old days is they'll talk for a fucking hour, you know? In between stuff, they, they make their speaking position more important than the music they're playing, which is why they cut out talk radio a lot more. <laughs> you can't do too much talking, you gotta play music. But there's a lot of good bands out there, but I've, I have not heard any Sly and Family Stones. I haven't heard any Beatles. I haven't heard any Stevie Wonder. You know, I was also no. a big, huge fan of his. We all love Stevie, every one of us. You know, we all love James Brown. And Parliament Funkadelics, we're all the same family, kind of like, you know. I, uh, my my uh, Family Stone band played with George a couple of times. Uh, once in Europe, and uh, we played at the Glastonbury. We did this at Glastonbury one on stage with him. He came and sat in with us. I've known George for a long time. You know, he's great. I know his kids. 
and now, and now grandkids too are are doing the band. Oh yeah, they're in the band. Yeah. Generation. Um, Jerry, as as we look back on on everything, what are you most proud of accomplishing in your entire music career? Uh, that's really hard to say. I just I'm proud of the fact that I've been able to keep going and keep growing as a musician and as a as a as a person when when we uh made it to the top with sly that was my most proudest time you know because it's something i only dreamt about i i've always dreamed uh, i dreamt about being a musician since i was a little kid so consequently i can't do shit that's all i do is play music i can't hammer a nail <laughs> my wife can fix things better than me you know so just knowing that that's what I was meant to be, I did my first gig in 1944 when I got burnt and I was at Oak Knoll Naval Hospital and I went out and sang Bill Rodham Trousers to about a thousand troops, you know? And then I played the accordion because in a tie-in mix, I think everybody played the accordion. And I played one of the first TV shows in San Francisco. I played St. Louis Blues. <laughs> the accordion. So that's all I've ever done, play music. So you never had any doubt that music would be your career in your life? I never had any choice. It's, it was in me. That's why I was innovated and started the band. That's why Sly got behind me so much, you know? I know you mentioned it, but give give that website again so the people know where to go and where to find out what you're doing. Okay, it's thefamilystoneband.com. Very simple. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have an older one called the Family Stone Music, but they're intertwined. The Family Stone Band is the new one. Is there any track that's your favorite to perform or play? Well, we always close with "Thank You," and we get the people going. We, our second one, I mean, we we end with "I Want to Take You Higher," and then. Then we come back after audiences complain, we walk off the stage, and then we come back on and do thank you. And that just kicks ass every time. I'm going to play that song till I die, man. <laughs> that track still sounds like it could have just been done today to me. I mean, yeah, incredible. Yes, thank you so much for the time, for the stories, and for all the great music for so many years and, and keeping it going. Yes, I could talk for three days on that, you know. That's why I couldn't do the thing with you earlier. I just had an operation on my throat, and uh, I had some nodes. So I was sound like a New York Italian. <laughs> Italian, and I lived in New York, but, you know. Yeah, give you a song that you can't refuse. <laughs> You're going to buy this, you know. Quite Rizzo, I used, he, uh, he was a, a local New York musician, you know, when I met him. And his uncle's Jilly Rizzo, you know, at, at Jilly's in New York in the old days. I go in, I meet one guy is uh, is Jimmy the Hook, you know, Willie the Weep, and all these names. A little short Italians. I'm a little short Italian, and uh, so was Pat. But they got all these these tall, beautiful blondes with large extremities, you know. And it was it was a uh, Jilly's in New York City famous place all right hey jerry take good care and i hope to see you out there on the road sometime yeah you too and once again i want to give thanks and prayers to uh 
close friend, Pat Rizzo, a member of our band, uh, just passed away about a week ago. Amen. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at funkandstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkandstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.